All right, welcome everybody. <laughs> uh, my guest today is Hannah Horowitz, who's become a very, very dear friend um, in a very short period of time here in Boulder. But Hannah, where are you calling in from today? You're not in Boulder now. I am calling in right now from Glen Ellen, California, which is in Sonoma County, which is in the North Bay Area, which is also my hometown. And you're also in your childhood home, is that right? Yeah, in my childhood home, in my childhood bedroom at the moment. And mm -hmm. I just turned around and showed Tucker like my childhood bookshelf. Which is perfect, I think, to, well, for me to speak about OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, which is the, at least the theme that we're coming into this conversation with. We'll see where it goes. Um, Hannah and I were at a, a little dinner party the other night and then just started talking about OCD and realized that we have a lot of similar, uh, a, we've walked a similar path with OCD and how it's expressed and manifested itself in our, in our lives. And we thought it would be a fun conversation to share, particularly how OCD um, continues to grow up and develop as we continue to grow up and develop. And it can take on new forms and new flavors and it can um, kind of merge with spiritual insights and then merge with psychological insights and <clears throat> developmental insights and some of that can be for me uh, really beautiful and interesting creative ways for life to express itself and in other ways at times it's created a lot of um, confusion and like brought on a new wave of um I don't know what to call it. I would maybe classify it as some form of an anxiety, but it it often now doesn't really manifest as anxiety and more manifest as um, thoughts arising that like uh, take on presence and awareness and they, they, they funnel the attentional system into choice points. And my body doesn't normally feel too anxious, although on a very subtle level, I'm sure there's some of that there. Mm -hmm. so hmm. Hannah where should we start yeah well I feel super excited what you're delineating with how kind of like the OCD mechanism can evolve and change through time or even if the actual content of it doesn't shift that much which I've noticed in my life like the process behind it and the relationship to it shifts a great deal and you know, I'm sure we'll get into that a lot, but it, it actually feels super appropriate right now that I'm in my childhood bedroom, because this is the site of like, where a lot of my OCD like occurred, like I'm looking adjacent at my bed, which is where I had to do like so many rituals and say so many things. And, you know, the bathroom is right next door, which is where a lot of things occurred for me too. So I feel very much in the field of it, but I'm also noticing how, I'm bringing my grown-up self to it with a lot more understanding and compassion and patience um, for those tendencies. Yeah. So maybe, I don't know, maybe we could start by sharing a little bit about kind of our like journeys with it or how we started to notice OCD in our younger selves and how it's transitioned through time and then kind of pick it apart. Sure. I also want to say upfront that I'm not um, a specialist in this. I'm not a licensed therapist or clinician. So everything I'm speaking about is 
um, purely based off my own personal life experience. And, <clears throat> and I'm using OCD as a bit of a catch-all for these types of experiences, um, not so much in like a clinical diagnostic way, although I have been diagnosed with OCD by a professional uh, clinician at one point in college, I believe that was. And Hannah, you are a therapist, and I'm curious, is this something that you work with from a more therapeutic license perspective? Yeah, I'm glad you said that about not being a specialist, because I'll, I'll co-sign that. I mean, while I am a therapist, I am definitely not a specialist in OCD at all. And I am noticing in more of my clients that there's a, a presentation of OCD. So it's definitely feeling like a... I'm wanting more training in that regard and to deepen my understanding from the clinical lens. So I have the things that I notice both within clients and myself and a, a building of understanding, but definitely not a specialist here. And it feels like this conversation is just a really fun way to explore kind of these tendencies in our, in our own development. The part that feels most alive for me is around <clears throat> taking on the perspective of God, you know, God creating the movie of this unfolding moment, this this life, and how life could theoretically take on an infinite number of expressions, though the limits are are unbounded. And so one of the ways in which life wants to experience itself is through this thing called that we call OCD. And I guess my my earliest memory of that would be watching the New York Yankees in the World Series. I um, I didn't go to church or anything growing up, but I watched pretty much every single Yankees game for every single season and collected all the baseball cards and was pretty much um, a Yankees fundamentalist. <laughs> and I remember, you know, it was like a really intense moment in the game. I'm sitting on the living room in my childhood home, my living room couch. And my dad is, and my mom are next to me and we're all watching the game. And there was some aware, I'm gonna call it an awareness I had that how I am showing up in that moment is directly affecting the outcome of the baseball game. And so I would do things like swallow twice. Like if I drink a, a little bit of a sip of water, I would take two sips of water instead of one sip of water because two sips was good luck and would increase the likelihood of the Yankees scoring a run to win the game. And if I only took one sip, that would surely curse um, my team and it would create bad luck in the energetic field of the New York Yankees and it would cause them to lose. And that would be, be in part, I, I don't think I ever thought it was fully my responsibility but I felt like it was a co-creation with the universe. It was like, maybe the universe has its plan, but if the universe attunes to what Tucker desires, then the universe will co-create it in reciprocity with me to generate an outcome that could bring, um, I guess for a little boy, a six-year-old boy, like, like I was, I don't know, joy, um, uh, a sense of like an ecstatic experience, you know, when the Yankees win the world series, which they did a lot when I was a kid, they were like an incredibly, they were the best team in the league. It was, um, it felt like life or death. It felt like in that moment, you know, this is the entire universe is this Yankees game. It is this moment. It is the bottom of the ninth inning. It is whether my player will, will do something um, to, to win the game. And I had been watching 
you know, over a hundred games or however many games they play in baseball, you know, almost ritually on a daily basis. And so it was like um, a massive part of my life and the stakes felt so high as a young boy. And so the fact that I was able to have some control over that experience or, or of that process, I guess it's not so different from how when, when parents say, um, if you act like a good boy, Santa Claus will bring you gifts. And if you don't behave, you'll get coal or something. Like there's some way in which the experience of Christmas can be co-created by my behavior. And so my behavior for the Yankees was to be a devoted fan by having all these different rituals. And sometimes it involved not breathing. Like I would hold my breath for um, basically until they struck out the next player or something like that. And I would basically be on the verge of having a physical uh, like meltdown in my body, but I was doing it in devotion of the team that I loved. Yeah. I'm feeling into the kind of level of power I don't know if that's quite the word, but a feeling like, wow, I'm like co-creating with the universe. Like what I do really matters here. And I'm wondering if you can recall how that felt for you as a young person to like kind of feel like you had that power. Well, it's tricky though, right? Because it's, it's, um, I felt like I had some power, but I didn't feel like I had full sovereignty, totally. you know? Hannah and I um, will we'll sometimes speak about the stages model of ego development the, developed by Terry O'Fallon and Kim Barta and others that we've studied with, Alexander Love. And, and so um, in one of the stage 1.5, there's a sense of like having full power and sort of agency and control, sovereignty as a, a full being. And then at 2.0, there's a sense of reciprocity, the sense of, oh, other people can see me. Other people also have power. So if other people also have power, that means I don't have full power. I have partial power in this situation. And so it was, I want to say it was a little bit, it was more often scary yeah. than, um, because it was a sense of I'm doing my best, but I'm not also in full control, but I'm going to do everything I can be to be in as much control as possible. And the rest is up to some sense of fate or trust or destiny or karma, or, you know, as a six-year-old, what would I have? It, it just felt, it, I guess it felt like luck. It felt like luck, like I could increase the likelihood of luck playing out in my favor through the little the through that the power that I had that was partial at best mm -hmm. what you said there around um kind of using as much power as we can but there's still so much that's out of our control it really mirrors something that my mom said to me when I was young when she was noticing these different OCD tendencies and said like you know honey like when we maybe start to become more aware and we realize that we don't have control over how everything is going to go, we want to find the ways that we can exert some control. And I remember at the time that really kind of soothing me because it gave some context like, oh yeah, maybe that's like the underlying urge that's going on here. You know, that, that soothed me a bit. Um, but I'm also really relating to and having compassion for the part of you that also felt like it was like scary like there's a certain power you have and there's a lot that you are so 
aware of even if it's kind of beneath the conscious level that like you don't and being in the dance of like the compulsion and the I I don't know I'm really feeling like the earnestness of young Tucker a lot as you're speaking that like wanting his team wanting his player like wanting the world to be well Mm. yeah and that brings up a memory of um being scared you know scared of the dark as a kid and lying in bed and maybe I watched a scary movie or something had a bad dream and it was like if I laid say on the left hand side of my bed on the left hand side of my body in my bed and I pulled the covers over like to my ear but not to here because if it was here then there would be monsters and if it was there then the monsters would stay away and then if I didn't move so if I had to stay in super frozen and still basically if I put myself through these kind of they felt in uh, my memory at least of them and of course by the way, everything I'm seeing here is just totally projecting my meaning making in the moment onto memories that are, you know, little bubbles of percolations that are arising now. And so caveating all that of like, we're weaving stories here and weaving memories and weaving our current meaning making onto childhood experiences, which of course are shaping the memory of those experiences in real time. Um, so this putting all that aside, <laughs> yeah, there is a sense of, um, <clears throat> like life, life would be really, really scary sometimes, you know, life is really frightening for a young, a young boy that's worried that there's a monster under his bed. And then sometimes there were moments where it would up my courage. And so I'd say, Tucker, if you go down and look under the bed, you are going to have such a good day tomorrow. Like you're going to have the best day tomorrow. If you, if you're strong and you're courageous and you look under the bed to make sure there's no monsters. Mm -hmm. And so I would basically use good luck as a courage mechanism to help motivate some sort of like um, larger self in me to come forward, some sort of fuller expression of, kind of transcending the momentary fear to um, hmm. make sure there's no monsters and get a good night's sleep. <laughs> mm-hmm. For you, it seems there was a lot tied to like, you know, if I do this, this might happen or like X plus Y like might equal Z. Um, yeah, I guess how much like suffering did it feel like was within that process for you? I don't know because how much suffering would exist for any child of that age that's having these types of thoughts. And so OCD maybe felt like a a way to make sense of suffering that might've been there regardless or might be somewhat inevitable as part of the human experience. I'm curious how you would answer your own question. And also, I really want to hear about some of your, um, the ways in which OCD manifested for you as, as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I think it'd be interesting to eventually get to how it's expressing in our lives today, but totally. it feels like it was rooted back, back in those days. Yeah. Um, I think it started to appear for me, maybe I was about like eight or nine. I can't quite remember the time. But it took the form of a lot of little 
rituals, um, the compulsion element of it was very strong. And it was a lot about things like feeling really correct, like in my body, like, okay, if this hand towel is moved like two millimeters over, like that feels more right for me. So I want to get it right to the point that I will like get in and out of my bed, you know, nine times in a row to straighten the hand towel by a few millimeters, for instance, or if I'm walking um, and I'm on the street and there's a bunch of leaves on the ground, like I had the sense of it would feel better in my body if the leaves are all just moved a little bit more so it can like feel balanced or a litany of things that I'd have to say to my parents and my brother at nighttime like over and over and over again until I got to the like amount that it felt right to express them where I could relax so I think something I'm noticing that's maybe a little bit different in our experiences is I tended not to have the like if I do this then like this will happen maybe as overtly when it comes to like a team winning or a monster under the bed but it was like if I do not do this thing I won't feel right in my body so then I can't relax I just have to do it enough or get it out of my system so then I can be okay Mm -hmm. if the hand towel feels like it's in the right position then I can finally go to sleep, but it might just be a long journey with a lot of kind of arduous um, neuroses to like get it to the place where it feels right. And I'd say that was the primary manifestation for me for many years. I never did any formal treatment. It kind of went away um, slowly and slowly on its own, though I'd say it's never fully gone away. I definitely still have a lot of those tendencies. They're just very muted in comparison to what they were. And yeah, I think the suffering question came for me because I definitely felt a lot of suffering in it at the time. Like I had the awareness of like, this isn't necessary. This actually isn't helping anything. It's kind of weird but I can't not do it. And I think feeling that lack of control within my own internal system was a really bizarre and hard thing to witness, especially as I think I'd created like an ego structure around like functioning really well in all of these other realms. So when it came to not being under able to understand what was going on inside of me that led to these, um, you know, behaviors that I did understand didn't really have consequence over the world. It was a really confusing thing. When you were speaking, I could, it invited me more into the somatic aspect of OCD and yeah. Um, there's a way in which I I feel that those experiences, because totally, it would first almost always come up somatically, and then a thought would arise for me. If so, if there was something that felt off, like the towel, I totally had the towel example as well. <laughs> it would just it would just be this instant feeling in in the body, like the the energetic and the somatic body felt off, and. Almost like for people that crack their knuckles, like sometimes it just feels like it, it has to be cracked. You know, mm-hmm. it just has to, you just got to do it. 
Mm, but imagine if cracking your knuckles was spread out amongst hundreds of daily little all events. these little decision points yeah yeah and the curiosity and I'm even as we're talking about it right now I'm very aware like my headphones are right there and there's a sense in me of like I would feel more correct if they were moved like an inch to the right that just feels more aligned with the universe <laughs> but thankfully there's enough spaciousness within me at this point where I'm kind of like oh like that's sweet inside of me and actually I don't feel like I really like need to do that but the sense of being earlier in my development and kind of maybe projecting outwards like things aren't right here and if I can get things right on the external realm then I can feel more right on the internal plane and um and I do think that there are kind of cool, some cool pieces within that, right? Of like action and like wanting to manipulate like in a healthy way, the environment. Like I was really feeling when you said, okay, Tucker, if I like look and I'll feel proud of myself and I'll feel successful, like the kind of stepping stones that that can offer for feeling our own bravery or feeling our own ability to, um, you know, do what we want, but then it's tied up with all of this other stuff in there or some internalization, at least for me as a youth of like, and if I don't do those things, then like, maybe I'm bad. Or if I can't make the external be that, you know, in my family or the world I live in or whatever, in alignment with my vision, you know, then I will not be okay. Knowing a little bit about your childhood and having met your parents, and I think it's safe to say, let me know if, if you have a different perspective on this, that we um, we both had fairly idyllic childhoods <laughs> and, um, you know, we're financially stable and lived in beautiful neighborhoods and, you know, had good educations and all that. And so, yeah, I guess I'm I'm curious if you have a sense of um, if there's no sort of um, potentially capital T trauma in our in our lives at this point in our childhoods, where maybe this sense of feeling uh, that that there's something wrong with the external world that needs to be adjusted or fixed, where if there's seeds or memories in which that might have stemmed from, yeah. I think one is the death of my grandparents and just having I was at age six and nine and I'm I don't feel certain that's like a total correlation to this but I think having just kind of the death awareness early on and there was a sense of like well they're dying like I will die I've been interested in in death from a really early age and I think that has something to do with like you know controlling things or like leaving one's mark and I think also, you know, as a child, and I think this is really true of all children, like we're soaking up so much different information. And even if there are very idyllic elements of our youth, we might still be like, well, where can I fill the gap to like, if I'm just this way, then I can help my parents communicate a little bit better and then I'll feel more relaxed. Or like, there's this dynamic 
going on that probably is actually not really even in my conscious mind, but I'm learning to adapt to that to keep things more, you know, harmonious. Um, and I can, yeah, just recall a lot of little like moments or seeds or noticing, like, I don't understand what's going on here in this family field or in this school environment that I'm in, but I have the sense that if I do things slightly differently or if I alter, if I lend my energy here or I play the good girl or whatever, you know, the really subtle internal manipulations that that will make things better, right? So whether that's real or not, I think that also became part of my internal working model that then also manifested the hand towel. (laughs) How about for you? What's arising is uh, a memory of playing baseball when I was a little older, maybe 12, 11. Um, I remember being at second base and I would do these things like I'd take my baseball glove off twice and then like hit it twice and before every pitch, take my hat off and did all these ritualistic visual cues. And of course, baseball culture I would say glorifies these rituals and it's part of the America's pastime is to basically embrace OCD as a sign of it's part of the game in many ways. Um, But I remember feeling some sense of like, if I do this thing with my glove and the ball gets hit to me on the next pitch, I'm, going to be more likely to get the out and essentially not embarrass myself. So it was a little bit of like an anti-shame mechanism mm. of, um, you know, I, I don't want to disappoint my teammates or, or be the guy that fucks up or um, like, I want to do a, yeah, I don't want to embarrass myself. Mm. And I feel a lot of uh, compassion for that younger self that essentially was having social anxiety arise and was attempting to minimize it by doing these rituals that would then boost my inner confidence that would then, you know, be, I want to say like from a experiential objective perspective, (laughs) it it would increase the likelihood of doing a good job. Because if I'm confident and I'm going to be generally more likely to sort of handle the the play with ease um and so it kind of worked like it it generally worked and then if i messed up a play you know then i would just double the rituals and i would double the amount of intensity i would put into the ocd that would then help to make up for some of the lost confidence and just became a coping strategy mm-hmm. I'm curious what parts of that are still present in your like day-to-day if we're taking it a little bit into what do we notice now um, of how it shows up or how we relate to it. Yeah. Well, I just moved my cursor to go to the mute button and before it was on the right-hand side of my screen 
And as I was moving it to the mute button, I was like, should I move it back to the right hand side of the screen or keep it on the mute button? And sort of objectively speaking, it would make more rational sense to put it, keep it on the mute button because that's the place I'm more I'm gonna want to pause if there's background noise in my house. But the right-hand side of my screen, when I move the cursor over there, and this has been with me since I got my first laptop in fourth grade, that's like the good luck place for the mouse cursor to live when it's not in use. And so there is just a moment there is like, well, how's the podcast going so far? And I was like, well, I think it's going pretty good so far. So I should probably keep the cursor on the right-hand side because then, you know, the rest of it will play out. And then there is a another sort of awareness that was that was like, well... Okay, but that's silly. And so keep it on the mouse, it'll be okay. Um, and that all happened in probably 1.5 seconds at most. Um, and in the body, sometimes the body will override the rational reasoning that is ha that happens, you know, super quick in the mind. And sometimes it's not even the mind, it's it's awareness itself that's just um it's just like lightning, it's it's picking up the pattern at lightning speed, and um, the mind doesn't even have time to generate a thought process about it. Um, but there's like um there's like a yeah, a pattern, a pattern recognition that almost occurs somatically, energetically in in, in the field of awareness and um if the energy is stuck in the body then sometimes it's just a it's just a feeling of well i know this is irrational but my body will feel more at ease doing the irrational thing and then the moment will unfold and move on and i won't stay sort of like it's almost like consciousness itself will unknot itself from this little whooping experience of not knowing or, or wondering or questioning whether the mouse is in the wrong place on the computer screen. Mm -hmm. So again, this these things happen in like split seconds. Um, sometimes they play out longer for maybe 10 seconds or 15 seconds. But generally, it's just like, choo, choo, and, they're, and they're firing kind of all the time. Um, and the opacity, the thickness of them is somewhat dependent on yeah, I would say how life is experiencing itself. If life is experiencing itself as confident and if life is experiencing itself as full and in flow, then a lot of the times the bubbles sort of just pop quicker. And if not, there's a sense of the bubble kind of stick around longer. And it's like, are you sure you don't want to follow this bubble? Okay. It, might, it might really help. It might. Um, I'm laughing because I'm like, super resonating with how you're sharing that information and the the quick blips and feeling into how um there's like a lot of like energy go that goes into all of these micro decisions kind of all the time and there's a way in which it seems like that that can also like kind of feed back to the organism to like provide energy for like other decisions I'm feeling the kind of like reciprocal nature of the relationship to OCD or to I don't even know if we would I, that would probably be called OCD I don't really know but like that experience that you described 
right? With the mouse and like these longstanding rituals and how you've related to that and allowed it to shift over time. Um, but yeah, so I'm thinking he actually feels fun about that. I don't know why or where that's coming from, but kind of just like all of the really rapid energy that kind of creates this driving force like for life. And I also know there's a lot of ways that can be like energy sucking, right? And if we're spending so much time making all of these decisions or touching the door handle like 20 times in a row, then that's so much energy that's going away. But yeah, something in me is just moving with that. I, so <laughs> yeah I'm with you I mean I think it can be fun for, in a number of ways one is that because there's some well not uh, because there's a lot of loosening between the sense of egoic self individual self the sense of awareness self the sense of physical self the sense of energetic self the sense of soul self the sense of spirit self there's all these different selves that we can um, not just construct, but also ex like experience, full-on experience, a sense of self as being an individual I ego. There's a full-on experience of being oneness. There's a full-on experience of being um, some sort of like a, a, a shape-shifting soul that is embodying as this lifetime. And, and because um, for whatever reason in this moment in my life there's there's a way in which i can i can choose which perspective to experience the moment in yeah. and so a moment will arise where there's an ocd tendency and it's like well which which uh how on of wholeness do i want to experience this from and sometimes it's like yeah let's let's like really experience it from the tucker self with his shadow and his trauma and his life challenges and blah blah and it's like ah, and it gets all into it and it makes a big deal and stuff and there's also like a witness that is watching that play out and kind of laughing but also feeling compassion you know it's like it's it's sort of a, a smiling buddha type of <laughs> um quality and then there can be this this sense of like um actually being the anxiety itself for the 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 cure the curiosity or the the physical embodied somatic um, intensity. And it's a sense of like being fully merged as it and with it. And, and that can be a really intense experience. It's like going into the depths of the, the most, um, uh, it's like the, the, the most meaty it's almost like i can reach you can reach out and grab it and experience yeah, it. Yeah. yeah and then there can just be the experience of like um just another passing cloud just another it's just another unfolding oh it's it's even as it's arising it's shape-shifting and leaving it's birth and death or not there's no time there's no sort of boundary to it it's just like this it's just shape-shifting life doing what everything else is doing. And there's no real difference. It's just expressing itself um, as that and experiencing itself as that and also witnessing itself as that. And so it's like kind of like going to a restaurant and you have this menu and there's this all these and it's 
yeah, who's the one that's choosing that? And, you know, then, okay, well, <laughs> you can investigate that and then that's gone. And, and so there's, it's like a, it's like a, a, um, a carnival for God or like a, like a, like a, um, you go, I remember going into Chuck E. Cheese when I was a kid and you just have all these toys and all these places you can go. And it's like, whoa, there's so many different ways to experience what's being experienced. And at the same moment at the, in the, in the, at the same time, so to speak, exactly what is being experienced is exactly what is being experienced is exactly what is is being experienced. And it's just all wound up as one. So it's, I would say it's mine. It's, it's not, uh, it's um, on a non-conceptual level. It's um, freaky. (laughs) You know, I'm thinking about when I was 22 and I started seeing um, my current teacher, Diana Zahir, who been a, a really major mentor um, in my own growth and development but she was the first person that I started to talk about OCD with aside from my mom in terms of kind of seeking any support or context around that and just so gently and softly she kind of explained like yeah you know sometimes we can have these different experiences or wanting to do things and can we allow ourselves just a little breath and maybe put it on like a shelf like in our mind like oh there's the shelf like there's the thing that I want to do like I don't have to get rid of it or hide it from myself. Like it's on the shelf. So maybe I can choose how I want to engage with it. Um, And she said it, I'm sure a lot more eloquently than that, but that's just what's kind of stuck out in my mind as one of the first invitations to start to create some space internally from the experience, right? Like if I'm choosing to do this thing and I still do it all the time now as a more like adult woman therapist where I'm like, I don't really need to move this thing or say this in all of these different ways or touch this in a very specific pattern of, I do a lot of things in quadrants of eights and I do a lot of kind of small movements with my hand and I do a lot of like internal somatic balancing, but it's like, can I actually let myself go into that from a space of like, ah, like, look, that's what Hannah's doing right now. Like, can we have a moment where we just like really allow that and then like, we'll come out of it. And maybe there are times where it's not as um, supportive to allow that. So can I kind of start to create the inner space to know over time, like choose my, choose my spots, um, so to speak, while also held exactly as you said, and just kind of the whole grand thing of like, wow, isn't this interesting? And like, that it's like held in an attitude of for me humor and wholeness and like hilarity at my manifestation going about doing its little things um and what I see in working with people in maybe earlier stages of um working supportively with their OCD is that that space inside doesn't exist yet it just feels like the the grasp in which they like have to have to exist. And anyway, I don't really know how to work with that yet, besides, you know, maybe teaching softness or spaciousness, more spaciousness or self-compassion or understanding where those different patterns and whatnot 
come from, but I'm really resonating with you allowing yourself to see and be all of the different orientations to self and the specific action that you're doing. Yeah. I don't know if you've had this experience or these experiences, but yeah, there can be a way in which now um, I can get very construct aware with the thing, the story. And so it's like, oh, um, if I don't kiss this tree, then I'm going to get an email in a few minutes that's going to be uh, bad news. So, you know, there's going to be a, an email that I'm not going to want to get. And so I, and then I'm like, okay, well, that's a story. I can deconstruct that. Okay, now it's deconstructed. But then there's this way of being like, yeah, but my body still feels that feeling. Mm -hmm. So the story is deconstructed, but the feeling is still there. And so maybe the fact that it's a story is also a story. And then maybe it is real. And how do I know it's not real? How do I know I'm not receiving a psychic, you know, um, mm -hmm. psychic um flash of the future arising now that then can be shape-shifted into a different future by sort of reshuffling the consciousness deck so to speak and then kissing the tree is like a way of is, is a way of reshuffling and then this this whole process of being like well what is reality and, and what is the self and who and it's like doo -doo -doo -doo. and again this all happens in split seconds this is not how i'm speaking it out loud now where it's one thought at a time it's the thoughts are arising at the same time and the thoughts are like, um, it's like you see the whole deck of cards at the same time and there's 52 thoughts and they're all co-arising. And I can go in and look at one card at a time, but often I just look at the whole deck and then and then it kind of becomes a hall of mirrors thing where it's like, and it's, it's <laughs> yeah. And then um, it's a sense of actually not knowing which of the cards represent reality and then so none of them represent reality but then if none of them represent reality all of them represent reality and then there's a sometimes there can be a choice point in that of being like okay well which one feels most loving and maybe that's most loving for the tree maybe i'm like you know what fuck it I, yeah I should just kiss the tree it's a beautiful tree i'm gonna kiss the tree i love kissing trees i kiss the tree sometimes it can be most loving for myself of like you know i've had a stressful day just going to allow myself to play this OCD game. And, um, you know, here we are. Mm -hmm. And again, it's, it's not such a rational process. It's more of just like, a, it's just like life, life just moves in certain directions. And mm -hmm. yeah. Can you relate to that? Oh, a thousand percent. And all the, the split secondness. And then all of a sudden we're out here and we're wondering what on earth is going on with being a person on this planet and how much any of it matters and decisions and consequences and construction and deconstruction of who I am through time. Um, as you were speaking about, you know, kind of what feels the kindness, like, I just want to hug this tree or I've had a stressful day. Like, let's just do the OCD game. I'm really feeling the, I think the balm that bringing warmth to ourselves um, gives to all the parts that are like confused um i really 
just notice that in my own journey or seeing that with other clients of like, okay, if we can learn to bring some more of that questioning, what's the kindest or what's the warmest thing I can do here? Or maybe what is it to just allow myself to be a simple human body that has a strong desire to do a bizarre OCD tendency and then like do it? <laughs> like how that can actually be really soothing and not just soothing to the like OCD mechanism, but soothing to like just our broader selves that are here grappling with what we're doing on this planet to begin with and getting to build that through time. So I'm really feeling like the warmth of that. Um, were you going to say something? Oh, I had so many things arise, but go on. I want to hear what you're going to say. I was going to speak to an experience I had last night, which is I was lying in bed and I was, I was having some kind of stress dreams and I have three minorly, minorly stressful things to do today just because they include some unknowns. Right? And this was one of them. And I had the full understanding of like, cool, Tech and I will probably have a good conversation. And even if we don't, like, that's okay. Like, he'll probably still want to be my friend. Like, I was able to, like, hold all of that. But there was still the unknown of my mind trying to come in and fill the gap. And I was awake in the middle of the night, and I was just feeling all of this anxiety in my body. And I was doing some shadow work with it. And like, huh, like, it's actually all totally okay. I'm relaxed. I'm safe. I know that all these unknown things will be navigated with a lot of ease. And even if they're not, I know I'll be able to hold that. But it was still such the somatic experience of like, no, we like don't want to release. And I don't even know if I have that much more to say about it, but I do think naming the difference between what we can really know, you know, in our minds and what our bodies are still catching up with is really important, especially when it comes to OCD tendencies and like how we work with those, you know, kindly and patiently. Yeah, that for, for me, that brings up the therapeutic aspect. And I can talk about when I worked with the OCD specialist in college, but there was really not so much the story other than I think I did like four or five session, sessions and basically overcame my OCD. And she was, she said that I was the fastest client to ever overcome the severity I wasn't a severe case of OCD but this the level of OCD I had mm -hmm. so I felt really proud of myself in that moment and basically what I did at that time was you know it's it's kind of a, a 3.5 technique of um, thinking about your thinking and so it was, it was um, I basically I basically said if I do the OCD tendency then I will have bad luck and so I just tricked myself, essentially, the, OC, the the feeling, the underlying feeling of there being some level of control I can have over creating the universe and manifesting my reality still was there, but I just reversed it so that the, the, the physical activation of that feeling um, became normal, which then became the good luck. So that like, kind of worked for a while I guess I mean okay. never never has this been extremely debilitating in my life or anything like that but then you know I came into I kind of began deconstructing that story and all that stuff when a few years ago and it sort of started to come back in, in new ways and I started working with Kim Barta um, and yeah 
the way that I found to be most um, healing is to basically through going through a shadow resolution process, coming into this little boy, this maybe five, four, six-year-old boy who's just scared and he just wants life to um he just wants life to be okay he doesn't want to get hurt he wants to be liked he just wants everything to be to be good <laughs> he wants to be good and then there's this this sense of holding that little boy and hugging him and saying it's all going to be okay and i got you and making him feel really safe and really protected and just enveloping him in warmth and then when the little boy is like yeah but what about when life's challenges arise because they will arise and <clears> this <throat> sort of imaginal scene or the the world that's playing out in the subtle realm um is me at this beach that i used to go to in connecticut uh, my adult self holding the little four-year-old on my shoulders and the waves are they're quite strong waves at this beach and it's like we go into the waves and we're like yeah and we just pile through them and the waves represent all of life's inevitable challenges and there's just a sense of like actually life's challenges can be fun and they can be creative and like i got you i'm not gonna let you drown or i'm not gonna let you go um and so the reason why I wanted to share that is because even though the mind can deconstruct and reconstruct and these, the stories, like you said, the body and the energy can still feel stuck. But then the way that's helped me to navigate that is to be with this little boy and to feel the little boy in me, I guess, somatically and energetically and, and, and imaginally and allow um, allow that sense of deep holding um, to ease the, the the symptoms that arise somatically and, and energetically. And then there's a way in which I can feel life or the universe um, holding adult Tucker, holding Tucker. And like this, it's like the shape, the heart of love is is sort of holding on to the snow globe in which this scene is arising in and and it is the scene but it's also sort of there witnessing and holding the scene at the same time mm. and so sometimes now when i go past a tree and i trying to decide if i kiss it i just do doo -doo 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 -doo, little mini mini parts work and go back into that little boy and just feel him and then it just kind of passes that way as well mm. I just a big smile is on my face because it's just really, really sweet. Like, I just feel this vision of how we can um, really hold ourselves through time and in spaces of unknowns and caring for our young parts that, like, maybe really, really just want to know what's going on or have it right or be safe. Um and you know funnel that energy into the way we move our mouths or the hand towel to keep coming back to it but yeah like what's that like underlying urge and I feel so strongly that it is can I be safe like in the world and 
can I roll with the waves and can I find like belonging, you know, in myself or the systems that I exist in without necessarily having to, you know, exert a certain kind of control? Mm -hmm. Can I be and can that also be okay and involve trust? and that's where it yeah it can get when the mind sort of starts to spin it can get tricky because uh, you know when i was younger like in the yankees scenario it was sort of i was praying to the baseball gods you know i was praying to whatever spirit was in charge of making sure the yankees win <laughs> And good job, by the way, Yankee spirit. <laughs> they, they won like 10 years in a row. Uh, <clears throat> and then when you I was- had, You had a large hand to play in that, Tucker. Uh, yeah. Wait, whoa. I am the Yankees spirit. God. Oh. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> And then a, a little bit later, like uh, later in life, it became more about the world and about the physical world, about, you know, this- the environmental world in which I'm surrounded in and and then it sort of became a little bit about more about like maybe the the emotional world and the the world of love and relationships and and then now it's kind of at this place most of the time where the spirits don't really exist, but they exist. The world doesn't really exist, but it exists. The planet doesn't really exist, but it exists. The um, <clears throat> the, the 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 sort of vast universe, the galaxies, don't really exist, but also exist. But what does exist with one hundred percent experiential certainty is exactly this exactly this moment exactly what is right here right now so to speak <clears throat> and it can't really be put into words but it's just simply this and and so from the unbounded yet sometimes experientially small pers uh like it feels like it the universe is just this conversation with hannah and this is just life expressing itself as this exact sentence and this bamboo desk and this OCD pattern. And so it's like God itself is in reciprocity with itself as OCD tendency and manifested as um, a Tucker experience or sometimes not a Tucker experience. And it just gets um wild at that point because it's not really like tucker an individual human and a planet of eight billion people in a giant galaxy is experiencing a singular case of ocd it's like the entire cosmos is experiencing ocd yeah and conceptualizing this thing called ocd and exceptional and experiencing all of the other kind of truths that can be held in, in that unbounded field of possibility in which the moment unfolds in and as. And that's where that's where there's even sometimes in that when it's when the when the moment is um 
there can be the sense of like, yeah, no, there's no parts work in the world that can kind of. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, that's just a trip. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I'm having the experience of, of one of just kind of wanting to like lean back into that, what you said of like, there's really no parts work and basking in it. And um, and two of I think I'm at a space now where I, I do feel a lot of gratitude for the OCD mechanism as it plays out in me because I think it's really shown me a lot of contours of mind and has been a way of kind of like holding up a microscope to the nature of mind um you know that I've had support in or I've had enough space and kind of examining so it's it's felt you know positive um but how I do feel like it can be such a vehicle of learning more about ourselves for where we're really holding on so certain structures or where we have space to loosen or where we just have to surrender. Um, yeah, there's just a lot coming up there for me about the way that it can be a relationship that can help us grow into the, yeah, the, the concentric circles of like here's me here's the OCD mechanism like here's the do 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 and that is then the broader social systems that we're in that also have maybe a lot of similar OCD mechanism even if it's not as you know specific and then here's like the nature of like the order of the cosmos and the universe that has certain laws it follows and which I also don't understand like at all um so kind of like the microcosm of all of the bigger workings I have no idea if that any of that is even relevant, but I'm just feeling into it. What I heard and what you're <clears throat> what you're sharing is um yeah, almost an invitation into embracing OCD as a catalyst or a vehicle for whatever we wanna whatever whatever that wants to be, whether it's awakening or deepening or healing or intimacy with life or intimacy with self or intimacy with all or um, compassion for others, compassion for uh, the sort of social systems and societal constructs that have perhaps co-created this experience of UC of OCD in some way by um, creating, helping to create certain sets of conditions in which this tendency of the human experience arises in the first place. And so like, you know, when does dis-ease become easeful transformation into further unfolding of love <laughs> <laughs> not that ocd is a disease as far as i know i don't think it is 
not in my construction, but I don't know if it's a medically from a medical perspective, if it is. Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's a, a a beautiful way to put that. The dis-ease, like the dis-ease I felt in my body laying in bed last night or the disease I felt in going four feet out of the way to touch something in a really specific way so then then I could move on but can I actually be present with myself in those moments as a vehicle of of letting love flow yeah mm -hmm. one way that I love to do that is to now <clears throat> when I allow myself to just go and when I just surrender to the into the experience of doing some OCD thing, there's a way in which it can sometimes feel like a prayer, or some not just sometimes, but I can consciously create it as a prayer. Um, and that's beautiful. Like, what a beautiful way to be in reciprocity with life, to be in devotion to the moments, to be constructing reality as a as a um like a a kiss to life itself and maybe that life has a, a directionality or an intention or an, an attachment or a desire or a longing in some form but for me what prayer is is not just necessarily holding on to an attachment and asking for it but it's 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 stating what i want to life itself and then letting go and sort of trusting in what is returned and there's some way in which the ocd ritual <clears throat> process if you will can become a ceremony to create uh, prayers of love into I don't know into love itself because <laughs> yeah. a lot of it is just it's a sense of the prayer is sometimes like the prayer sometimes is granted via the asking of the prayer you know like if I get into a devotional state and just feel and just like you know, God, please grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Already, I feel I'm in a different state than I was 10 seconds ago. And so the prayer is already answered by the enacting of the prayer. And there's a way in which OCD can also play out in that, in that experiential way for me. Yeah. I notice in my own life, you know, when the OCD urges come, if I can sit back with it and be like, all right, we're having a little maybe pattern interruption in how I've like perceived the way this will go or in my moment. Right? And the reality is life is full of pattern interruptions all the time, be they, you know, coming from some internal driver or something that happens, you know, on the concrete level, it's like, okay. Wow, one of the greatest realities. There's a pattern interruption in front of me right now. I'm sure there'll be just like a million more to come. And um, even if the OCD wants to do things in a really specific way, can we, I use that 
as a vehicle to then, you know, flow. And I take a breath and be like, wow, the reality is I have no control or idea of what's going to come, even from within, you know, the context of my own mind or body. Like, just returning to that again and again as some sort of ground to, I think, continually reconcile one, two. And not the kind of reconciliation that's like, all right, well, I just have to, like, make peace with this, but, like, a broader like reconciliation to life like all right as long as I'm here I'm working with these certain personality structures and I might you know I've gone through different ways of deconstructing how they're not necessarily true or whatever and yet they also are <laughs> like how can you know we hold those together and yeah I think the OCD is an aid to that for me You mentioned death earlier. I'm curious about your relationship with death and if that relationship has changed over time, if that's also impacted your relationship with the OCD tendencies. You know, I think so. I wouldn't have put that together without you asking, but, um, you know, I've spent time doing hospice work and I read a lot about death and, um, you know, been with with bodies that are very, you know, near to dying and those final breaths. And yeah, I think there's just something that death brings so to the forefront of the mystery that maybe I felt enough peace or ease or support from my surroundings or whatever to like, lean into the mystery and the which feels just so vast that it kind of feels like the OCD mechanism has a lot of like space to like play it's like putting like a drop of water you know into like a pool in which it can that water can just kind of like dissolve and flow like the container of it isn't so small so in exploring death it's brought a broader just like container for the whole like mystery of all of this game in which case the OCD just feels like it gets to be a little peace within it. It doesn't have to hold quite as much weight, I guess. Yeah. For you, have there been any, maybe exploration of certain topics or major shifts in your life that have loosened that in general there seems to be less with the greater, I would say, acceptance of what is, there's less of a desire for what is to be different, even if the what is is wanting reality to be different. And, and with that, it's almost like the OCD sometimes still occurs, but there's not um, focus on it as much. 
it's like my I'm breathing, um, but I'm not consciously spending conscious energy on the fact that I'm breathing. It's just mostly just breathing. And so sometimes the patterning just sort of plays out like breathing and but not in a way that it's like um in a way that's causing car uh, harm or suffering it's not like a, a numbing or a disassociating it's just a sense of this is what is is what is is what is and um there's like these moments that arise that where a burst of energy comes as as a wanting to look or deepen or uh, examine or soften the OCD experience and then but more often than not it's just a it's like a pet or it's just like a, a way it's just a, a part of reality that reality has gotten used to and and in that way it feels very freeing there doesn't feel to be any sense of um yeah discomfort or disease with it until there is and then there is <laughs> for sure yeah that feels kind of like a sweet thing to know or you know end on with that like healing ocd or you know whatever isn't about it going away necessarily like yeah of course and you neither of you or I had like really like extreme manifestations it sounds like you know um but what it is to really like companion that experience and find freedom in the companioning of it too mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and then looking back at childhood and feeling gratitude for you know obviously i'm making this up um but it theoretically would feel true to say that that experience of being so attuned with my body with the energy with the reciprocity of the different characters that are in my surroundings created a lot of um strength in the muscles of those capacities that I think have paid off really brilliantly in my life like as a photojournalist you know going down the street and you're just looking and constantly attuning for that micro moment that split second where you get the perfect snapshot and so much of OCD experience as a little child was kind of like wading through the world looking for the little tiniest things that might be off and to create the sense of perfection and in my environment and then boom like there's this like release that happens that can sometimes feel like static and and then yeah so there's there's so many and in the way those kind of grow up into spiritual capacities or um developmental catalysts or uh, relation or interpersonal relating capacities of uh, sort of being aware of more than just the spoken words and yeah I feel like OCD has been uh, a blessing in all of those ways mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. I fully feel that and again I'm working with a small sample size I'm not a specialist but what I notice of other folks that 
she froze. Maybe it's because I didn't do something that was CD like that brought bad luck and now Hannah froze. Just joking. Oh, you're back now. I'm back. Okay, you're back too. Hi. You were frozen in like a very like erect, dynamic, wide-eyed position. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I think I was saying that I notice that the folks that I see who have more OCD tend to be like really sensitive, like artistic, like highly emotional people. And, you know, I I can't say or not how that relates to OCD or if that's the case for all people. Like I really like don't know. Um, but yeah, I'm just feeling a lot of like compassion and curiosity for the, for that like sensitivity that you're speaking to of like the perfect shot and all of these different things and like the ideal vision that like can become manifest and how, you know, it's a journey to, to make peace with that, what we can do and also what we just totally can't and what might remain, you know, not possible. Hmm. Is there anything else that feels alive for you to share? Can you speak to? Just that. I'm feeling in my in my, you know, childhood home and everything. Just so much gratitude for my parents, who I think held that really well. I think they didn't really understand or have context for OCD themselves but they were really like loving and tried to understand me. And I think that really, really makes a huge difference. And so whether that's coming from our parents or our teachers or community members or from ourselves, like that's really just one of my main, like glowing kind of embodied senses from this conversation of like, oh, when we bring warmth to this, it can have the potential to maybe actually be something special. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Thank you, Hannah's mom and dad. <laughs> I would thank my parents, but I don't know if I can't really recall ever opening up to them about this or them having a direct relationship with the most, most 99% of these experiences have remained um, something between myself, me, myself and I, so to speak. And so, um, yeah, it's actually feels very lovely to be able to talk about this stuff out loud and, um, to do so publicly and to do so with no feeling of shame or embarrassment or anything. I just feel like delight and curiosity and, you know, the gift of OCD being able to bring us together and have this conversation and experience and to be able to share it and may it may or may not help somebody else with their weird neurosis stuff <laughs> if so if it helps you or not but if you happen to be listening and you resonate like I'm down to talk about it this is actually one of the most in-depth conversations I've ever had um I think about it Tucker and it feels really good to just feel that kind of like oh this is a way 
that were kind of like the same and it's like kind of weird but it's also funny (laughs) it just feels good to talk about yeah it is funny isn't it very strange thank you thank you Hannah and initiating this conversation it's been fun yeah thank you enjoy your chat at home (laughs) I will indeed ciao okay bye bye